following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 7th, 2021, on the basis of Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. There are a lot of people in the world who care deeply for those around them, who, who tear up a little bit when they hear somebody else's bad news, who if they could just bake a cake and fill it with rainbows and smiles and we could all just eat it and be happy, then they would. But they can't. They don't have that power. On the other hand, there are people who, who chase power and popularity and success, who would sell their right arm and maybe even sell your right arm to achieve their goals, but they lack empathy. And there are billions of people in between those two extremes, but nowhere in the middle are we going to find that happy medium of somebody who, is both unli- who both has unlimited power and unlimited love. If there were, we would call them God. But whether you're caring courageously or chasing success, sooner or later you're going to run into fatigue, that unavoidable, incurable tiredness. And in the midst of all that, it's easy to wonder if God is going to do anything. You're going to wonder where that all-powerful, all-caring God that you know and love has gone. But far from not caring for you and far from not being able to do anything for you, our God has actually provided already the eternal cure for weariness. Because he does not grow weary. He says as much in our lesson for today. And more than that, he does not grow weary of you. As a kid, it seemed fairly obvious to me that birds just flew by flapping their wings incredibly hard and that somehow, in some hypothetical circus world, I too could take flight if I just moved my arms fast enough, hard enough, and long enough. It sounds foolish, but to be fair, that's because it was. And I was very, very young when I thought it. But regardless, That in a world that has lost its reliance on God, that's how a lot of people that you're going to meet are getting by. And that happens because whether you think of success as a goal or as a state that you exist in, we tend to think of it as a matter of fuel. You You fuel up with food, you recharge with sleep, you motivate with purpose. And no matter how you view success, we think of it as something that we have to chase down ourselves, that we have to pursue and grab. And that's all good and fine. There's work to be done. You have to, you do, there's nothing wrong with flapping real hard to achieve your goals because there's work to be done. But if your personal appraisal of your life and the value you place on yourself as a person or a parent or an employee and especially as a Christian, if, if that all rests on your performance, then all you're doing is burning fuel until you need to fill up again. And that's exhausting. Because no matter how many times you fill up, no matter how much fuel you put in the tank, no matter how hard you flap your arms, you can't force yourself to enjoy the flight. And if you can't do that, then you can't force all, any of your effort to have any value. And that's fatigue. After a while, we just get tired of ourselves, get tired of moving in the same direction. And day after day, there are people walking away from the church fatigued, saying, it just doesn't do it for me. Well, what are you looking for out of the church? Purpose? 
eternal happiness? Just another jolt of fuel to get to the next goal? Because if that's the case, and if that's all that you're looking for in a church, then the point has been missed, either by the preacher or by the people being preached to. And it's leaving people wondering when God is, when God is going to fix the problem and what he is going to do to, to, to cure this chronic pointlessness. And maybe you're sitting here too, in the middle of winter, wondering where the hand of God is in your life. But it's interesting because when Israel makes this exact same complaint, God's response is not automatically, oh, you poor child. Oh, you sweet baby. Let me see what I can do for you. No. He says, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? And you begin to wonder if maybe you should have. Some of the most basic problems that people have with the God of the Bible boil down to a fundamental misunderstanding of who he is and who he claims to be. Isaiah writes three things about him. He says, he's an eternal God. He's not a God bound by time. He doesn't, have, he doesn't long for the past and he's not anxious about the future. He's the creator God, the almighty creator God who sprinkled the galaxies with stars and pieced the atom together. And because of these things, I mean, because God is just so high above our experience, anything that we know or understand, he does not grow weary and he does not faint. How does that help us? I'll admit that it doesn't, but God goes on to say these, he doesn't say these things to, to rub it in or to show off or to flex his muscles. He goes on to say that the mind behind this power and prestige is what Isaiah calls unsearchable. I've often thought about how dangerous a, a human baby would be if it had the strength of a grown man. And can you imagine what kind of damage we could do if, if we were armed and equipped with the power of God? Unlimited power demands unlimited wisdom, and God has both in equal measure. And, and compared to him, you, me, and a stray dog have about the exact same understanding of the universe. And so don't you think that God, who is unfathomably wise, just might know how to use his unfathomable power? And don't you think that God, whose perspective is infinitely broader than ours, might come to different conclusions than us as to how best to bless us? And so our problem is not that God is powerless. And it's not even that we necessarily think that God is powerless, but that we're chronically underwhelmed with how he uses his power. And it's because we have this mental image of God's power where, where if he would just drop this opportunity in our lap or remove this obstacle in front of us or fix our problem, then we could propel ourselves into everlasting endurance and sweet success. That's because the human sees God as a crutch or a stepping stone on their way to success rather than the one who is supporting us the whole way. But thank God that God is not running things the way we would. Because when we see what God has already done for us, the way that we would bless ourselves is far too petty and far too small. God knows what's best for us. And he can do what's best for us. But neither of those things obligate him to actually do 
what is best for us. In fact, if anything, the holiness of God should prevent him from doing anything beneficial to sinners. I mean, the definition of holiness is separation, and especially separation from sin. So it should come as no surprise to us when we stumble and fall, and we don't find our God standing right next to us every step of the way, because it cuts both ways. God's holiness separates him from sin. Our sin separates us from God. And yet, despite that holiness, and despite our sin, God entered into a covenant with sinful people. And because he is holy, that covenant can never be broken. And so more than solving every problem, or removing every obstacle, or fueling us up every time we feel empty, this covenant unites us to God in a way that we could never do on our own. And if that leaves any question that our God loves us, then remember that the word of God, of whom all his promises consist, once became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's not simply that God came to us, but that God became one of us and shared in our experience. Look back today at today's gospel and and see how Jesus looks at the struggles and the pains and the issues of the people around him. He saw what sin had done to these people, his neighbors, his friends, his family and strangers, and he felt compassion. Literally what that says is that when he saw it, his guts twisted at the sight of it. And so while he was our neighbor, he reached out with very human hands to heal these things. But he also saw behind them that the very root cause of all these things was a sickness of the soul, a possession of sin and a starvation of the spirit. And so he preached in that town. And he moved on to the next town and he preached there and to the next town and the next town and the next town until he landed on Calvary's cross where he showed his richest compassion to merciless men and preached his greatest sermon in three words, it is finished. So when you feel powerless in the face of crisis, when, when things have seemed like they've gotten too much, when, when inadequacy has siphoned the joy out of living, then rest on what you already know. That the all-wise and all-powerful God who could do anything took all the pain you felt and all the pain that you caused and he took it to the cross for no other reason than that he loves you. It's not a matter of fuel. It's not a matter of flapping until you take flight, but a matter of having these promises of God underneath your wings through every inevitable challenge that you're going to face. And when you feel powerful, when you feel victorious and and you've emerged victorious over all the challenges that you've had, rest on this promise all the more. Because new tragedies are going to wear you down and new challenges are going to hit you hard. But when you stumble and fall, you will rise again. Knowing that your life consists of more than these problems of the present. I should note that I wasn't entirely wrong about birds. Some birds actually do stay aloft by flapping real hard. They're called hummingbirds, and they expend an insane amount of energy doing it. The big birds, like eagles, they just just ride the wind, flapping out their giant wings, not frantically flapping. They just hold them out there and scoop the wind up underneath them. And then there are chickens. Don't get me wrong, 
I think chickens are beautiful animals. They're, they've got a certain reptilian majesty to them. And yet all that grace just flies out the window when you watch them try and take flight. They just flap and they flap and they flap and they flap to get their fat little bodies just a few feet off the ground and it's a frightening experience for everyone involved. But that's us. That is us. And that's what makes God's promise here all the more amazing. Because he doesn't say that, you know, he doesn't say that those who hope in the Lord are eagles. He says that they fly like eagles. So we are chickens flying on eagles' wings. And if that's not a perfect picture of the grace of God, I don't know what is. The immediate promise here is not for success in all you do or that you're going to get your way with every interaction that you have. In fact, this whole promise is predicated on the notion that you're not always going to get what you want out of life. But the immediate promise is for strength to endure. And that strength is not ours. It's the strength of a promise fulfilled long ago on the cross. And what's more, because this is a promise for strength to endure, we know that there's going to be something far greater when we land. A greater, more glorious prize across the finish line and a more wonderful destination to our journey. So whether you're weary of chasing your dreams or exhausted by the weariness of the whole world, wait on the Lord and hope on the Lord because he has designed things for us far greater than anything we could imagine. Amen.